time. Just across the East River from Manhattan, where I live, just over there, is an enchanted wonderland, an international crossroads, a stew pot of neighborhoods filled with the languages, cultures, traditions, and flavors of many lands. Hey, how you doing? My morning ritual goes something like this. Regular coffee and a donut. Maybe a crawler. I'm, I'm feeling wild and crazy. But just across the river, the options are endless. over and through Queens like a main cable. Every stop can seem like another country, another region. Get off at Roosevelt Avenue and you are going to eat well for sure. Example, this cart sells Ecuadorian food. Tornado, roast pork with sublime, crispy skin straight from heaven. Crunch, crunch. Oh, that's the sound of victory right there. <laughs> Morcia, blood sausage with potato cakes. Oh, man, that's looking really Got good. This is a working-class day, but people coming to and from work. Yeah. How often do you think the average person eats at one of these things? A lot of, like, the day laborers, a lot of the men that are here, they might live in these tiny apartments with a tiny shared kitchen. They can't cook. Right. They're not going to go into the restaurants. They don't have time for that. So it's for them, it might be even more that they're eating on the streets. Sean Basinski is the director of the Street Vendor Project. Prior to going to law school, he built a push cart and sold burritos on the corner of 52nd and Park. 
He founded SVP with a small grant from Yale University Law School. He lives in a tenement walk-up apartment in Manhattan with a bathtub in the kitchen. You know, like most lawyers. So within like a mile of here. options be nationality wise it's incredible i mean you can have tibetan street food and then there's colombian arepas you go up into flushing and then there's the chinese barbecue carts i don't know of any place in new york maybe even the world or the country that you can have such diversity on the street matt shapiro is another lawyer who represents street vendors when they need legal help which in our nanny state current reality is all too often now generally speaking to open up a cart on the street do you need a license you have to have a license for yourself, and then you have to have a permit for the cart itself. That's the problem. Any spot? Generally speaking, yes, although there's lots of restrictions. Manhattan is very much the, you know, not my backyard neighborhood a lot of ways. I mean, for this reason, Manhattan, in my view, is a lot less interesting than Queens. Right. This is a wonderland. Yeah. I mean, look at what we got here. You know, they're trying to change it, though. And the more it does change, the more the vendors are threatened, you know? There's all this talk about cleaning up Roosevelt Avenue. You know what that means. If you get higher rents, nicer buildings, they're not going to want a streetcar out in front. That's sometimes the problems that vendors face. Right. Even if the spot is completely legal, and we see it all the time, where there's building managers that come out and say, hey, you know, you got to move, can't be here. They even call the police. So what happens if that happens, when that occurs? When it was me, the young, you know, young kid out of college, right. I was ready for them. Right. But if you're an immigrant who doesn't speak any English and is realistically scared, and they tell you to move, well, you're going to move. In a perfect world, how many of these would there be? I think the more diverse street food we can have, the better. The more pathways we can provide for people to come and start a business. And hopefully, you know, after five or 10 years, maybe they'll have a restaurant. I mean, we don't say there are too many restaurants, do we? So why too many food vendors? Too many affordable restaurants, goddamn. Gajamadri dhamma maryamadam barudagvang 
Himanshu Suri is better known as Heens, half of the rap duo known as the Sweatshop Boys. He was born and raised in Queens, a living, breathing example of the glorious mashup that is this borough. So it seems just right that a first-generation Indian dude takes me to a Chinese dumpling spot close to his Hindu temple. Yew Garden Dumplings is everything you need in life. So, born and raised, Queens? Yeah. What neighborhood? Most of my life I've been in Glen Oaks and Belrose, which is like further east. Largely or mostly Indian? Our neighborhood is mostly Punjabi, and then there was uh, Christians from Kerala, Malayali and Pakistanis, those three. And next non-Indian neighborhood over. More like Guyanese, still Indo-Caribbean. Right. And then the other neighborhood, like whiter but still Indian. So it's hard to escape us in Queens, which is why I like it here. Spicy beef and tripes, boiled pig tongue and tripe marinated in sugar and soy, served cold with chili oil. Traditional Indian food at home. What about outside the house? Because the food's so good at home, we don't really go out to eat Indian food because it would just be my mom going, I could make better dal than this. Right. So I'm in New York, man. it was like lo mein and pizza when we weren't eating Indian food. Lion's head meatballs, pork, ginger, soy. So we used to come to Flushing even when we moved out further east because they didn't have grocery stores here. My temple is over here. And so even as we move further out to Long Island, we always end up coming back to here or Jackson Heights, which are like these first places you come. Sometimes I joke, I mean, Queens is so great and so diverse, but it's also because the airports are here. So it's just like you get off of a 16-hour flight with no money in your pocket from India, and you're like, where am I going to live? Well, I'm already here, so let's start with this place. Soup dumplings, piping hot and filled with ground pork and near-boiling broth. This is why I go, man. Yeah, the soup dumplings. Oh, yeah. So when you were growing up, what was the ethno-national breakdown of a typical class in school? My high school was a public high school, but it was maybe 70% East and South Asian, mostly Chinese and Korean. And all these kids end up going to Harvard. All these kids end up going to NYU and these types of schools. And you know, if the American dream is alive, I think it's alive in places like Queens. What do you mean by that? That, that there still are people coming here with nothing and making something out of it. And as I kind of lose hope and the idea of like diversity is a positive thing or the idea of America as an open place. I think in a place with so much race and diversity, it gets in the way less here than it does in other places. Will America as a whole look sooner or later like Queens? I guess 2042 is the year that people of color become the majority in this country. Yep. Seems like a long, long time away. But yeah, that is the hope. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Get lost in flushing for a while and behold the awesomeness. Chinese food or Korean, just like home, well, Flushing is the place. This joint is high on the list. Gu Shigi. Cheers. No, that. Josh Smukler and Cosme Aguilar are both chefs and restaurateurs operating in Queens. Josh, a Korean man who was adopted and raised by a Jewish family, owns the wildly popular Long Island City restaurant. Moo Ramen. Did it take off right away? It was successful right away? Yes, uh, pretty much immediately. You know, I was cooking out of my house. And then we're transporting all to this bagel shop. We served from 7 o'clock to 9.30, 10 seats at a time. It was me in the kitchen and my wife out in the front. And one day, uh, somebody texted me and goes, congratulations. I go, for what? They go, Pete Rose just gave you number one ramen in New York City. So New York Times loves you. Yeah, and I saw the article and I started crying. Cosme is the owner of Casa Enrique, also in Long Island City. It's the only Mexican restaurant in New York with a Michelin star. You didn't even do the smart thing. The smart thing, of course, would be to make shitty Mexican food because we know that Americans will always buy shitty Mexican food. You started making a really sophisticated, really interesting Mexican food. Well, why? My brother came up with the idea to, to open a Mexican restaurant. And I told my brother, come on, I never cook Mexican food like for a restaurant. So I started cooking for uh, six months at home every single day, trying to do different things. And, right. and finally we opened a Mexican restaurant. And then you got a Michelin star. Yeah, <laughs> for three years in a row. Nice. Both are fantastic, but tonight we're eating Korean. 
Gamjatang, pork neck bone soup with rice cakes, pork belly, kimchi, and spicy radish, and kimchi and oysters. So this dish right here, mm. the gamjatang, was the dish I had about like three years ago. It literally transplanted me back to Korea. Yeah, but how old were you when you left? When I came to America, I was six. Were you raised observant Jew? Orthodox, yes. Or you were raised Orthodox. You still with the program? No, not at all. I'm eating pork right now. Man, that's tough. I mean, because, you know, Koreans are pork crazy. Korean food, I didn't have much of it growing up at all. In fact, kimchi was, like, shunned from our household because it stunk up the whole house. Well, it's just not kosher, too. And it's not kosher either, so they... With the shellfish in there. Yeah. But now I still make Korean-style ramen. And then I have a matzo ball ramen. Being raised Jewish, can't help it. I think as cooks, we always go gravitate to what our DNA is. So what are you opening a Korean restaurant? I don't know anything about Korean food. <laughs> I just know I like it. I gravitate towards those flavors. Galbi. Short ribs marinated in soy, garlic, and sesame oil, then grilled. Meat candy. You ever investigate other neighborhoods? The number of immigrants from all over the world, I mean, is you know, extraordinary. This funny thing now is I have uh, Caucasians working the line. Yeah. And then the Asians come in, they go, oh, this isn't good. You got a bunch of white guys. I'm like, what? I'm, I'm racist like that, too. Really? I'm, yeah, I'm totally like that. If I work at a sushi restaurant, I make racist assumptions about the place if they're not Japanese. Do you do the same thing when you go to a restaurant and you see, like, let's say a Korean restaurant? Right. And if you only see white people, then what do you think? It's not legit? Eating at the, at the Korean restaurant? Yeah. You want the truth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want the truth. Some people say um, it's the most famous place you've never heard of. That's where we are. But when you start getting out to the detail of it, this is historic Nears Tavern. Back in the 1820s, when Queens was still mostly farmland and livestock rather than the seven train was what rumbled down what became Jamaica Avenue, the manager of a racetrack called the Union Course opened a nearby tavern to accommodate the gamblers and layabouts who frequented his track. It was called the Blue Pump Room. In later iterations, it became the Old Abbey, the Union Course Tavern, and finally, Nears Tavern. The Near family, German emigres, added a bowling alley, a ballroom, and a hotel after the racetrack closed in 1898 and renamed the place Near's Social Hall. Today, it's owned by this man, Lieutenant Loy Gordon of the FDNY. You were born in Jamaica? It's a funny thing. I'm from the island of Jamaica, and I moved to uh, Jamaica, Queens. 
Why, uh, why did you make it Queens? Well, my mom was here. What did your mom do for a living? What, what kind of work was she doing? You know, she was didn't have all the education in the world. Uh, so you just had to do odd, odds and ends. You had to clean floors and uh, just do whatever she had to do to get things going. I think it's pretty much the similar story of immigrants that come to the United States. They come and work hard because it's the land of opportunity. And they find a way to kind of make it out of the rut. Yeah. Or at least using that platform to have someone like me, like their offspring, become a little bit more, right, yeah. than, than they were. Ordinarily, the story is, I'm a regular beer drinker at this joint, and the thought of it disappearing is like unbearable to me. Where am I going to drink now? But you're not that, that's not your story. I knew that this place was important, you know? I just felt something special. And being someone that's from Queens, something that's special like this, I shouldn't disappear. It was three days from closing now when I walked into the place. Wow. The way it's located, someone has to tell you about near Sabbath. Someone has to say, you know, it's around the corner, to the left, to the right. If someone tell you about it, I think they think you're worthy enough to discover such a historic, you know, cool little place. Now, it's historic for a lot of reasons, not least in my mind, because yeah. the greatest American film ever made was shot here. A lot of it was shot here, right? I mean, it was About not... 15%. Okay, so what was shot? Which scenes were shot here? It was a very pivotal moment of the uh, movie. Okay, so that's and the as we moment. Said, so wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me, yeah. let me, let me yeah. remember it. He's, is he right there or is he right here? He's right, he's yeah. right here. Yeah. He just right. looks over at Maury, right. and you know he's decided Maury's going. Maury's going. Might as well just knock everybody. Well, no, Maury was a problem from the beginning. I think right. any reasonable businessman would have. <laughs> you know, here's a question. It has nothing to do with anything. You're working for the mob, and you've been having some disagreements with your business partners. Why would you ever get in the front passenger seat when somebody else is sitting <laughs> in the back? I mean, Paulie made the same mistake in The Godfather. It's always like, you know, that's a bad seat to sit in. Yeah. Estoy haciendo el chile, que es para los tamales rojos. Lo estoy partiendo a la mitad para que se cocine más rápido. Eso pica. Mi nombre es Evelia Coyotze y soy del estado de Tlaxcala. Y yo vine a Queens en el 2000. No sé, tal vez este era mi destino. Vender tamales. <risa> se agarra la masa, cucharada de masa. Se la hace y se la hace. Se le pone una cuchara de salsa. Pollo. Y se envuelve. Mi rutina diario empieza a las 7 de la noche, en las 8. Empiezo a hacer los tamales, hago los atoles, pasamos a traer el carrito y me salgo a vender a las 4 de la mañana.
Cuando yo llegué a Queens, era tan difícil estar aquí en Queens porque yo había dejado a mi hijo en México. Bueno, yo empecé a vender tamales porque me quedé sin trabajo cuando se cayeron las Torres Gemelas. Me ha costado mucho. Yo vendía un carro de supermarket. Molestaba mucho a la policía. Nos llevaban a la cárcel como 15, 16 veces. Entonces fue cuando decidí que tenía que rentar un carro porque nos arrestaban. Ahora nos está yendo bueno. Y así me va yo subiendo. Los fines de semana es bueno, porque se venden como dos mil tamales. tempting to think when reflecting on Jackson Heights of Indian. But Queens is always changing, always in flux, a landing spot for people from all over the world, new arrivals from Tibet being an example. Sandwiched between two cell phone stores and a couple of jewelry shops is Lhasa Fast Food. This particular neighborhood we're in now, Jackson Heights, has historically been the first stop for the newest immigrants. It's a big Latino neighborhood, but the South Asian community's presence is pretty well known, and it's, I think, very fitting that now this huge Tibetan community, which is very new, looking for a home, where are they going to go? They're going to go near the Indians, right? So you guys grew up together? Yeah, we grew up together in Queens. I remember really? we were in the same Little League. What position did you play in Little League? Oh, they put me in the outfield. That was terrible. Which outfield that, that matters? You, oh, yeah, usually the, the right side. What right, do they call right, it? Yeah, okay, yeah. see, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Keems joins me for dinner along with his friend and neighborhood advocate, Ali Najmi. I'd now like to call up a close friend of mine, Mr. Ali Najmi. I'm really involved in politics, local elections, empowering new voters, and then advocating for particular issues that come up. Mr. President, I know you're not too good at listening. But you're going to have to hear us now. Yeah. Muslim Americans are not going anywhere. Yeah. Latino Americans are not going anywhere. Yeah. And we contribute to this country. It turns out we pay more taxes than you do. Yeah. Why give up? I have a sense of what I think is right and what needs to be done. And I can't sit back and let people who are being underserved continue to be underserved. You're going to have the work cut out for you the next four years. We are, but you know what? We have to organize. There's no other way to do it. America wouldn't be as great as it is right now if people didn't organize. It's both unique and disturbing that you're also from Queens. <laughs> Because the values that you have been running on are not the Queens values we know. And I guarantee you one thing. We, all of us, will make sure You don't forget where you came from. How much traction are you getting within the community? Is there a hunger for that, or is it uh, taking some convincing? There are definitely a lot of people who are just, because it's such a new community, they're just trying to make it in America. 
They're trying to maximize whatever they have, even space. We have a cell phone store, a phone card store. We have a little bit of space. Let's put a restaurant here and maximize everything we can. But then there are other people that get it, that believe in the promise of America, and they will leave in their rights. Thin Thuk, hand-torn noodle soup with chilies and ginger. I mean, do you think it's only a matter of time till you know, replaced by yet an, by. either another incoming group or, you know, a hipster apocalypse? Look, I mean, the story of New York is that neighborhoods are constantly changing. Nothing yeah. is, you know, everything's in flux, nothing's static. And even all our communities that have come in, you know, we've transformed these na- neighborhoods that we've moved into. It's hard to make a claim for ownership when my parents moved here, too, you know? So there is that constant, like, I don't want this neighborhood to be gentrified, but am I gentrifying it? Shopta, or chili-fried beef. Thin panes of beef with chili oil and soy and Sichuan peppercorns. Shamomo, steamed dumplings stuffed with beef. For a lot of people, you're going to see this community, but for them, it's like the nightmare scenario. What's the best things about Queen other than diversity? Just as an everyday practical matter. You wake up every day in Queens and you're allowed to be who you are. You can't say that about every place. Maybe not even the places our parents come from. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Further out in Queens, the somewhat forlorn-looking, but still beautiful, Rockaways. This is Rockaway Park. Further down, you can call it Far Rockaway. There's also Rockaway Beach. That's why they call it the Rockaways and not just Rockaways sometimes. Right. There's a lot of different parts to it. Josmar Trujillo, a writer and local activist. You from Queens originally? Uh, I was raised in the city, uh, but I lived in Queens for most of my adult life now. And Rockaway now? No, so I left here a little about a year after Hurricane Sandy because the way Sandy hit and the way it kind of you know shook people out of where they were, you didn't want to put your family through that again, or the risk of that. How bad did it get hit out here? This was like something out of a movie. Hurricane Sandy pounded the East Coast in 2012, and many communities suffered. But the Rockaways were hit with particular ferocity. How was the response? You know, the response from everyday people was good. Like, one of the best things about what happened right afterwards is the way a lot of people came together who lived here, but also how a lot of people kind of came in, pitched in, brought food, brought generators. But, you know, officially, with, like, the government, the, the semi-governmental groups, they dropped the ball. What was the problem? They weren't ready for it. The Rockways, by design, has never been a place where there was a lot of good investment or infrastructure anyway to begin with. Why? Look, this is what you would call prime oceanfront property, not far from New York City. What's going on? 
This was a place historically where the city um, and Robert Moses in particular really used as like a dumping ground for undesirable groups that the city didn't necessarily want to deal with. Back in the day, the Rockaways were a summer destination for middle-class New Yorkers until better roads and an improved rail system lured them to the beaches of Long Island. They threw a bunch of public housing projects in here. They sent a lot of the low-income people of the city out here. And it just wasn't a place that historically the city ever took seriously. You know, since then, we've also had a lot of working-class uh, whites move in into more kind of the western end. And so you've kind of seen in the Rockways just kind of shape out along race and class lines. And the one dynamic that's changed after Sandy was you had a lot more, like, young urban professional types, like, really coming out here. You know, maybe looking intentionally or not to, like, Brooklynify the Rockways. Right. Uh, or gentrify the Rockways. Uh, Rockways called, like, the Brooklyn Riviera, or the Williamsburg Riviera. Who gets the shaft in a situation like that? If you're a person who's not a homeowner, if you're a person that's struggling to pay rent, the plans are generally, history has told us, gonna leave you behind. It's interesting because I don't think a lot of people thought that that would happen here. When you're on Rockway, you had this kind of sense of security that you kind of were out in this lazy beach town. You're like, I would love to come out here and walk on the beach and it'd be just me and maybe two other people for miles and miles, and that was great. Um, we well, won't have that anymore. When there won't be a place in the city for you to be, be able to have that. You know, some people may be for it, and I think that might be short-sighted because I think that this might uh, not necessarily involve the same people who are here. It never does. What's a perfect day in the Rockaways? Oh, perfect day? Obviously, hit the beach, but you don't want to find a place where there's, you know, no sand, you know? Right. You want to find a place that's kind of off the beaten path, grab a bite to eat, you maybe, you know, have a couple of drinks at night and watch the waves crash, and we're near the airports, you watch some of the planes fly over, and it's just, you know, it's a, it's a different feel. You don't feel like you're in New York when you're out here. When I first came here, I was, I was a city kid. I was used to living the hustle and bustle, the city that never sleeps. When I got here, there's like this tranquility, there's this feel that you're not in the city, and it's great because it makes you feel like you can sit back and be with your thoughts. You know, as a city kid, it gave me a lot of perspective. So anytime you can come out here and kind of be away from stuff and kind of be, you know, with the water, with your thoughts, is a great thing. Yeah. I feel dead inside, Laurie. This is gonna I bring me around. Keep telling yourself that. I uh, all of it on number two to win at the first. Yeah. Thank you. Gotta be in it to win it, Laurie. All right. Uh, five dollars on number five to win, please. It's the middle of winter, and there are only a few hardcore racing enthusiasts here. Right. Also, me and friend and author Lori Wooliver. Here they come. 
And a winner. All right, you won your first race. You know, you didn't, we didn't Not win anything, but. Quite good enough. <laughs> I love this place. The ponies, the beer, the looming sense of despair and melancholy. Did I mention they have Jamaican beef patties? So people like it here because you can get your emotional feel for the horses and you can look down into the paddock and people like to sort of see how the horse is behaving. All right, I smell victory. Or is that horse shit? Fourth race, number two to win. I need to win in a long shot now. I need to get well. I got to come back. Built near the site of a former conduit for the Brooklyn Waterworks that brought water from eastern Long Island to the Ridgewood Reservoir, Aqueduct Racetrack opened in 1894. The glory days of horse racing are long gone. But for those few proud remaining degenerate gamblers with a few bucks and a dream, Aqueduct is still there. It's a judgment-free zone here, though. Totally. It's kind of a come-as-you-are situation. Yes. I think that's true of Queens in general. And you can kind of fly under the radar, you know? You have not been harassed uh, too much today, right? No, a guy came up to me, he says, uh, hey, you look like Anthony Bourdain. I said, uh, I wish I had his money. And he said, you're right, that asshole. <laughs> it was great. It was like the perfect yeah. encounter. That's Queens. Nobody gives a shit. I'm Ray. I'm from uh, Guyana originally. My father raised birds, so I end up with the same hobby. It's called bird racing. Instead of like a running race, like a singing race, you know, the first bird that chirped to 50 won the prize. It worth a lot of money. And uh, if you become a champion, you win a couple of races, the price goes up. $10,000, $8,000. Got to be as gentle as possible. So I just hold it in my hand. If you hit bumps, I rattle him, you know? I want him to be as calm as possible. Find a parking as close as possible to where we're going so the birds don't be exposed to the cold weather. Ray, you're 
right now we're trying to warm up the birds. And sometimes you bring a bird today and he's not in the mood. Nothing happens. We just got a, another day. <laughs> All right, you ready? the world as a whole, it is constantly changing. Here in the Jamaica neighborhood, a growing number of immigrants from Africa have put down roots, and with them, restaurants catering to their tastes. Like here, at Africana Restaurant. How you doing? <laughs> My name is Blessing Osagere. I come from Nigeria, and this one at Nigeria Restaurant. We started in 2000. The first three years were really tough. But thank God we're still alive, we're here, we're healthy. My mother had a restaurant in Nigeria for 20 years before I came here. I love to cook. When you come in here, you feel at home. You feel like a mother's land, you know. Mm, this food is really good. It is very good. And she was worried about it being too spicy. I don't think oh, no. it's spicy. Never a problem for me. Sarah Khan has made it her mission to find and write about some of these great little off-the-grid places throughout the borough. You're studying the intersection between food and culture. How did you get to that point? So I kind of cobbled together a way to travel, learn languages, and eat. Do you ever worry that by celebrating these communities, yeah, you're absolutely. helping to destroy them? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I worry about it. But, you know, those stories need to be told through what they do, through how they survive. Every meal, every dish has a story. Often a very personal one. Often a story of hardship, separation, difficult times. But when somebody cooks for you, they are saying something. They are telling you something about themselves, where they come from who they are, what makes them happy. A whole hell of a lot of people in Queens, the people who make the borough what it is, who make it such a great place to eat and explore, are very far from the places they once called home. But Queens is home now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta. 
host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.